Hi everyone, welcome to the Yam Podcast. My name is Nala Hachvin and I am your host. Today we have a very good friend on the podcast, Barry Bidardell. We love him. Oh my gosh, when you hear his story, is it going to be amazing? When I was listening to it again, oh my gosh, I was like, this conversation is so inspiring. It just makes you want to go out there and do things. <laughs> Barry Bidardell has joined us for another Bliss series. I literally cannot think of another person in my life that has done such amazing work for the Syrian refugees. And I am a super admirer. I had no clue <laughs> that this is what he did. It was literally only through this conversation that we got to know each other in that way. Seriously, guys, we all need to ask our friends deeper questions, like literally like what they actually do in their life, because they might be amazing and we just don't know. All we talk about is their wives or, you know, like their dogs or cats, you know, like or the weather. We don't talk about the actual things that they're working on. And what a shame, man. Like, imagine missing out on this story. And you'll know what I mean after you listen to this episode. So without further ado, here is Barry Bidardell. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Yam Podcast. My name is Nala Hachvin. I am the host. Welcome to this week's episode. We have a very wonderful guest this week, and we have Farid Bidardell. And Farid is one of my best friend's husband. And so that is something I can't wait for him to share with us, like the things that he has been working on. It's super fascinating when we were preparing to get this podcast ready. There were things that I did not know about Farid that in this situation, (laughs) I got to know a little bit more about him. I usually know a lot more about his wife. I'm usually talking to his wife and he pops his head in. So I don't know if Hannah is around, but maybe she will pop her head in in this conversation. But yeah, I'm so excited to have you on the show. So let's start off. What do you do, Farid? Tell people what you do. I don't think a lot of people or our mutual friends even know. Yeah. First, tell us what you do. So it's a very good question. What do I do? I run a company, (laughs) uh, a tech company. We created a software enhanced with artificial intelligence that supports organizations, schools, universities, pretty much anyone who's in education to teach their students how to code, for example, or how to learn any other digital yeah, tech skill. So the, this is not what I intended to start when we worked five years on this, five years ago. It's, yeah, or maybe actually six years ago, in 2015, as you might know, the refugee influx in Germany increased dramatically. I think in 2015 alone, we had over 1 million refugees from mainly from Syria and some other countries in the area coming to Germany alone. And a lot of people around the country tried to support, tried to help. You might have seen some of the pictures of people at the train station standing there and clapping and bringing some, I don't know, blankets and clothes and stuff like this. And my friend and me, we also thought about what can we do? And one of the things that we started back then, so yeah, what we did is we started to collect laptops for the refugees who were, most of them were stuck here. Our bureaucracy is a little bit slow and some of these poor people were there for over a year just waiting for the papers to be processed. So we collected laptops and gave those to those refugees. And while we gave them these laptops, we thought about what else can we do to support them. And one of the things was to help them maybe get some training done because most of their credentials were not accepted here. So if you were a teacher, for example, in Syria, you couldn't suddenly work as a teacher here in Germany. We start with one guy from Somalia. He, we taught him to, to program, to learn coding. And uh, yeah, after about three, four, five months, he was good enough to actually get a job. And uh, he, his papers were processed by then. Yeah, he found a job and he started working as a developer. And one of, yeah, one of our questions was, how can we help more than just this one guy? And then we started having a group of people and then another city also asked us, can you help us? And then from Berlin, a group came in and asked us, we also want to learn coding. And it suddenly just, yeah, snowballed. And then cities, companies from all over Germany came up to us and asked us if we can train their students. And after about a year or a year and a half, we suddenly had over a thousand people 
joining this program, learning coding, which was, yeah, pretty cool. And it led us then to go to the next stage where we thought about how can we scale. And a lot of these refugees and young migrants who came here, they were already part of some organization supporting them. And we thought, why don't we just work with these organizations closer instead of them sending their, their students to us and then us sending them back and so on and trying to find a job for them. Why don't we just work closer with them? And so we developed a software that supports us. The software now supports these organizations to train directly. We don't have to do the training anymore ourselves. The organizations can do it without our help. And it's been great. Many organizations from all over the world now come to us and ask us for our help because with our, you can do it without having IT or coding knowledge yourself. Our AI does that for you. And yeah, that's pretty much what we created. That's amazing. I feel like you compressed everything that you've done, like in such a short time that I like want to expand Please. every single point of this area. But before, before I go into this, I actually forgot to mention in the beginning, this is my bad, of why I wanted to actually bring Farid on. And Farid is going to be a part of our Bliss series, which is going to be evident in the title of this podcast. But essentially, Farid, like really what he has done is basically identify a need in in his surroundings and then he went in and like assisted people to fulfill a need that was there and it wasn't like something and because like snowballed it was like one thing after another you actually didn't know that you were giving out laptops so this is this was one to actually ask where do you I'll pause for that question but basically what I'm hoping that everyone will see with Farid's like story is how do you get from A to B? How do you start something from total scratch? And obviously we're going to relate later on to motherhood. Of course, this is the channel for that. But really to see that process of like, how do you identify like an issue that you have in society and and then they bring it to form. As Aristotle actually mentioned, he said, when there's a need in society and your talents, in the middle lies your calling. So it's basically what you, your talent was like that you could code. And like the needs that you identified in the world were all these new people, refugees who were coming in, who didn't have either the skills or the means or the access and you were trying to basically provide that and then that was like turned out to be your calling so actually now let's take a step back and tell people what you were actually doing before this so it was quite commendable what you were doing before and then you just really pivoted to do something completely <laughs> different in order to do this so tell us first what you were doing and then how did that realization or transition happen it's a very good point. I originally studied education and psychology, so I have that as my background. But what I did before was I worked in a social startup incubator. So I supported social startups from organizations that want to do something towards climate change or organizations that want to help people get into the job market and so on. So very different areas. And I supported them to create their business. So I was one of the coaches, one of the organizers of the program for them. And one of the main things, and that goes in line with what you said, is one of the main things I've learned in this few years that I worked for this social incubator was that you have to first define and understand the problem. And a lot of times we try to solve a problem that might not even exist. And that's it sounds crazy, but that's very common that we think <laughs> that it is a problem and we try to solve yeah. it, but it actually is not a problem. Uh, and uh, yeah. and that's what we realized when we first saw those refugees. Mm -hmm. Many people, they were trying to help and trying to support them. But the actual problem was, is that these people just wanted to work. They, uh, it's often the case that they're literally just wanted to go out and be part of the social life. They wanted to be part of the economy. They wanted to support Many of them that we met, they didn't want any benefits or any social benefits. They just wanted to immediately go out and do something. And that's a, yeah. Yeah, and that's a problem that we saw. And that's a problem we wanted to solve. Not Don't get me wrong. I think many of the support that was given was great, but it wasn't necessarily what they needed at that time. And so that's why we thought, let's... So when we gave them laptops, that wasn't enough. At the moment we gave them laptops, we realized, mm. okay... That's not the problem that we're solving. Yeah, now they have access to the internet or to a computer where they can mm -hmm. write a Word document, but that's not really what, what was the problem. The problem was is their credentials weren't being accepted and they needed to learn something new, have a new skill so they can find a job. 
ultimately that was the problem that we needed to solve yeah it's so funny that these photos that you were talking about like being in the train station and people handing out blankets like that's actually i haven't seen a single one of those photos but when i the thing that i immediately think about when i see that like in yoga they divide service like karma yoga karma yoga is basically action that is like freely given with zero intentions behind it and then there's levels with that like the first level is giving material things so the blankets that you were talking I would actually add in like what you were giving, like the laptops was like probably of the highest the material within that category. And then the second would be like the mental and the like what you guys were doing, which is like the like teaching someone like the skill, like mentally challenging them or giving them educational equipment or like just the means to be able to live in society. It's like what you were sharing. So like that is like one step up that of that like whole material aspect of giving to others. So I find that really interesting that that was something. For those who don't know, including myself, what is a social incubator? What does that mean exactly? So, yeah, that's a good question. The uh, incubator is a place where startups can go and learn the necessary skills that they need to that they need to become successful. Usually, these incubators are there's a program, maybe three, four, five months, where they learn all the legal skills, maybe even some business skills, some founding skills, what is mm-hmm. limited, and so on. So all of these things. So the social incubator is an incubator specifically designed for social startups or social initiatives. So anybody who is trying to solve social injustice or a social problem, they often are have a different legal framework than a non-social than a more commercial startup so that's why we yeah. have a separate or a specific social incubator created we worked very closely with some companies the deutsche bank like sap some other larger companies who helped us create this incubator and so what we did is every few months we would take in a new batch of applicants who had some great ideas but they just needed to help they needed help to bring it yeah to bring it to life or whatever they had in in their heads that maybe great ideas but they just didn't know how to create create a company out of it that's interesting how did you get into that? It's a good question, actually. After uh, <laughs> it's been uh, quite a few years, I think the way I found out about it is because I was working for the university and I was researching on social innovation. That was one of my, mm. my main uh, fields I was working on. And in my research, I came across the social incubator and I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. That's exactly what my research does, but in praxis. Mm. And I really wanted to, to go into this field more and work more in this field. And so I just applied and suddenly I... Yeah, I found myself working in there. <laughs> wow. So tell us a little bit more about the research that you were doing at the university. Yeah, the main research that I was working on, I was working with a, with a professor that looked into the social and the corporate social responsibility aspect of companies and what it mm-hmm. does to the employees. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, this is part of organizational psychology. We looked at, yeah, all the different aspects when you do something good within a company. And uh, I'm talking about more commercial companies, any yeah. large company, you can take any large company. They all have their corporate social responsibility programs, have their volunteering programs and volunteering options for their employees and so on. And so what we looked at is what does that to to you as an employee? If you work for such a company and you have the opportunity to to give back to the community, to to support initiatives, maybe with your volunteering hours or money-wise, is that basically then just as many companies see it as just greenwashing? Are we just doing that so it looks good society? Or is it actually mm-hmm. changing something within the employees? Do employees mm-hmm. then maybe work more efficient? Do they have a more of a um, us understanding like me and the company we're one um, or is that still that dividing factor or yeah so all of these things that were these are the things that we, we looked at which is quite interesting because in Germany for example there is a law that you have to do something in corporate social responsibility and mm-hmm. then as I said there's some companies who do that specifically just to, to greenwash just to because they have to do it and just because it looks good to the outside but yeah you realize and it just ticks a box Exactly. But the ones who are really believing it and they're yeah. following through with it and they're involving their employees, they, they these employees actually have a greater allegiance, I can say, to their company mm-hmm. and the ones mm-hmm. who are just doing it for a ticket box. Yeah. I would imagine that. Like in, I remember in high school, we had 40 hours of service that we had to do, which was more than any other school, I think. And it was really centered around that. And I remember we took quite some time 
every month to go and help like a specific cause. And we had to, at the end of the year, like it was a major part of our grade to actually, we had to present not only what we did in those 40 hours, but in addition to that, we elsewhere, we had to also do stuff. So we had to put up this like whole portfolio and it was huge. And I remember that was a pretty significant thing in my mind as well, that I was like really proud of being in a school that was so focused on service and also attached so much importance to service because I didn't do well in school. So I really needed these service credits. And I was like, that was where I was excelling. <laughs> So it's like I, oh, I, I was cool. like, cool. I was fine there. I was fine there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I want to hear more about like the stories of the people who you were sharing with me of who came into this thing. So it was a nonprofit. You began there and you were helping just people like one on one. So you had you tr- few people like over the years. And whilst you were doing this research, this was something you were doing on the side. So it's like, how did that kind of work get so much more intense or what made you lead lean into that part more because when I hear your experience like social incubator like that's like really noble to begin with like how did you what was more noble about this aspect of work that it was just like you like abandoned amazingness for ultimate amazingness maybe yeah. That's a good point because, yeah, you're right. I loved my job. I loved going to work every day. I loved my research, I was working on my PhD. And I really enjoyed working with these social startups because every one of them was different. They always brought something new to the table. And I've got to know so many amazing people who were so inspired. They didn't come in to start a company to make money, they came in to actually change a social injustice. And I remember one of the greatest moments I've seen was where there was a jury and I had this little contest and there was a jury and one of our social startups that we supported stood there and was pitching their idea. And it was about bringing people with disabilities and without disabilities together and them traveling Mm -hmm. together or going to events together. And it was really nice. And one of the jury members, he asked the question, he said, what if five years, no one in, in, in the country will need your support anymore, your platform anymore to bring people together because of your platform. Now there's so many matches that we just don't need your platform anymore. What's your a long-term goal? And mm. the guy, the, the founder, both of them, both founders actually have disabilities themselves. So they, they know the, this pain. And they said, well, then oh, wow. if, if that happens, then we've solved the problem. Then we can just continue mm. with something else. And I wow. really love that answer because it wasn't about making money or what's how can we become a billion dollar company or something it was yeah. about solving the problem yeah you're right i loved my job i loved helping people solve problems but what i also liked and that's then what we started with this nonprofit, was is to solve a problem that i saw myself and when i saw this problem and mm-hmm. i realized that it was really nice to be on the other side to also help i think i i, I supported for a few years this organization and i felt like now is the time that i want to do my own thing where i, I saw a problem that that I think I can help with. And as I mentioned in the beginning, it was never meant to be a company. We, when we started mm-hmm. this, we didn't mm-hmm. think about, okay, this is going to be our exit one day and we're all going to do this because all of us who were working on it all had our jobs and we were all very happy and had jobs as well. Yeah, It just happened. It just it just snowballed from one thing to the next. We, as I said, we started with one person and then more and more students came in, more and more people came in and, and you realize that you're actually here helping people and if you want to help more people then we need to do it full-time and when mm. uh, about yeah three three and a half years ago we made the decision to all leave our jobs and to to go in full-time and to support more people and uh, yeah we were able to support not just a few here and a few there and our free time we were actually able then to help hundreds or by now even thousands of people which was the whole goal of it wow yeah and i think one of the one of the things that we, and now coming back to the topic of the podcast, one of the our main goals from then on was that we want to have at least 50% of our participants should be female. That was our, our main goal because one of the problems we've been seeing when working in that field and working with tech companies, we realized that diversity, especially when it comes to, to female representation, was very low. I think mm. in, in Germany, the numbers were almost, I think, one digit, I think 9% or something of, our, of the female, of the coders were female. And so we, mm. we thought, okay, this we, wow. we, we want to support this. If we're in this field and we're helping refugees, we also want to help, especially those refugees coming here who are female and mm. who have even a harder time to find a job because of circumstances. And that became our goal. And we've reached it. So today, actually over 50% of our participants are female. 
And a lot of them um, wow. actually are mothers. And it's really nice to see. Um, these... <laughs> yeah, it's nice to see that, that to see these women suddenly coming out of their shells because some of them have never um, worked. Some of them have never worked in IT. And it's really nice for them to see an opportunity and something that they didn't think that was an opportunity for them. And that's because we hear that a lot. Many of them tell us afterwards, I never thought that IT would be something I can be good at or I can work in, and which is which doesn't, uh, from an objective perspective, it doesn't make any sense because it doesn't matter if you're female or male uh, to be good in IT, you just uh, need to learn the skills. But for us, it was really nice. For, um, for example, one of the women we supported, Manal, she's from Syria and she, she came here, her husband, they've sent him to Berlin. So he's working every day in Berlin. He, I live in Frankfurt which is about five, six hours away, maybe more. And so he works there on a construction site. That's basically what the job center defined him as the only thing he is good at, which is quite sad because he had a much better job when he when he worked in Syria and he gets very little pay. So they were really struggling. She's a mother of, I think, three, maybe even four children. And she came to us and said she really needs to find a way out of this situation. And she learned coding with us. So for a year or a year and a half, actually, she was studying with us. She was studying really hard. It was amazing to see her studying. She would bring her kids to, to classes. The two kids, I remember they were the youngest. They were sitting there and, and playing on the iPad or something. And the oldest, actually, he was studying with her. He was also learning coding, which was really cool. And then she was studying like crazy. And after a year and a half, she finally got her certificates. And today she's basically the, the sole breadwinner of the, of, the, of the family. She's making the money now. She works for a tech company. Now. Yeah, she, she's supporting the whole family now with her income, which is pretty amazing to see from and to see from where, where she came from. So we have like hundreds of these kind of stories of women and mothers who have never, we have one woman, I think, who's never coded in her life, who's never seen a computer in her life. Sorry, she's never actually known. I remember the first time we've had her sitting there and opening a computer, she didn't know what to do with it. She didn't know how to turn it on. She yeah. didn't know how to, what are these things to press. And it was amazing just to, to start from the basics, explaining to her what a computer mm -hmm. was. And she was she was the wife of a shepherd, in, I think in Eritrea, if I remember correctly. And, and then she, yeah, she, she had to learn the basics from computer. And, and now she is a graphic designer. She loved design. And we realized when we were talking to her that wow. she just loved yeah, arts and these kind of things. We helped her coding. We helped her learn other skills in, in, in that field and how to use all these programs online. And now she works as a graphic designer for a company. And that's, those are the things. If you ask me why would you leave such an exciting job, I think it's even yeah, I think every one of those cases, seeing how from where they came from and then what they've achieved and that they now are able to to support their own families, to support their own yeah, lives, I think it's just just amazing to see. And it's just yeah, really rewarding to to witness that as well. Tell us how you chose a female to be the head of your company. Even though you were the main founder, you could have put yourself on that head, but that's not what you did. <laughs> no. For that, I think you have to go one step back. I think one of, as I said, when we set our goals to have at least 50% female in, uh, with this, within the students, but we, we said to ourselves, we also need to change that in our company and also on our board as well. The, the founding yeah, guys we were men. We can't. We need to have more more diversity. Of course, we had some diversity when it came to, to it came to nationality, and religion, and these kind of things. But we needed more diversity within gender as well. And so when we started hiring our staff, we we made sure that at least half of the staff were also female. We, it was interesting. We didn't have. We never actually had the choice between oh male and female, and then we chose female because oh that was our goal. We actually just it, it just happened naturally when we set out to find new staff. Somehow we had some really good applications uh, coming in, and then naturally we realized oh wow we uh, we created a team with with fifty percent uh, women, and more than that actually most of these females were also mothers. And one thing that we realized very quickly after a few months is that the women in our team, and especially the mothers, they had a big problem because they would take a lot of holidays early, but just randomly, here, day, here, day, there. And uh, and when we asked them, they told us that they had to take those holidays because the kids were sick. And, and so they had to take holidays to take care of the kids. And very quickly, we realized that affected their actual work ethics because everyone else had a week or two weeks or three weeks in a go of holidays and in Germany you have at least around 24 and we actually in our company with 30 days holidays and many took them as two weeks going to Spain or something like that and th those specifically 
they couldn't do that because they used up all the holidays because of the wow. kids' sick days. Yeah. And so we changed that. We changed that rule. We wow. said from now on, every time there is a sick kid in your family and you have to take time off that doesn't count as a holiday that just counts as a sick day you just yeah. don't work and that's fine and that completely changed the work ethics and we got the feedback especially from the mothers saying how yeah mother friendly this is and of course there's all there was also some fathers who t- t- took advantage of that because then they could stay home and their wives were able to go to work and so on mm. but it definitely changed because they didn't have to compromise because they're a mother and they have to take care of the yeah. kid they didn't have to now compromise and then in the end it also affected the company because it affected their, their work ethics as well they were much mm-hmm. uh, less uh, mu- uh, yeah less time to to relax less time to and i'm sure you yeah. can say a lot you can say a lot about that you need that time to regenerate we, so yeah so we created that and so it again it one thing that led to another and about a year into our operations we said okay it's time for a new leadership we need to step back a little bit we want to also give others the opportunity to lead it's just because we're the founders doesn't mean that we we should be the leaders yeah yeah we will will be on the board we'll support strategically and so on we'll operatively as well but we had one person in our team that we thought she would be a great leader of the team and she brings in really amazing things that we didn't we just yeah, couldn't bring to, to the table and to yes. ask her if she wants to be our CEO. I think tell us those um, gems that she could bring that you could. I think one of one of the main things that you need our field was is to be able to communicate with our partners, with all the different organizations. And when we decided to scale and work more with education organizations all over the world, we needed someone who's able to also speak the language to have that kind of communication skills and really understand them and we realized that she has these skills she uh, maybe our team had more the tech side skills but talking tech didn't really work with organizations who who even had trouble using zoom and yeah we needed somebody who was able to listen and Mm. also able then to respond to them but at the same time also understand the tech world so she needed also to understand us so she can talk to us basically and so we needed yeah that kind of skin and of course also someone who can lead the team in a way that maybe the team needed to be led and as i said there was part of the team was working very closely with the students very closely with families so that kind of closeness to the families as well and then mm-hmm. part of the team was a tech team who was just software developers and uh, in their own zone and so we needed someone who's in, in between those two and she had those skills she had those communication skills those, yeah, yeah. I don't know how to describe them, but it's just that personality as well that we were looking in, looking for to lead us to the next step. And she was also a mother as well. Like when we had young babies, yeah, it was not she, like I older babies. It was at young that point, babies. her kids were three and one, and she just came out of maternity leave, so she was mm-hmm. back in the job for a few months, and that's when we made her a CEO. And I know that she she always mentions that she said she would have never imagined being a CEO of a tech company as a female, as a young mother of two young kids, and yeah, and she also only works part time because uh, the kids are they are. They are kindergarten and so on but not all day so she has to take care of the kids in, in yeah, late afternoons and yeah she's always surprised and she always mentions that uh, we trusted her with this but there's not one second mm. that we regret this choice I love that so much because i think like the majority of the listeners of the yam podcast are probably going to be moms who have kids between the ages of zero and five like maybe that's who yoga avic serves mostly and so like i imagine like a mother listening to that like I hear very often, like when I was doing the interviews for the Mama Comfort Toolkit, it was a very distinct voice that I would hear when a mother was able to work or do service of some kind. Like when there was meaning outside of their mothering, it really did a whole other turn to their confidence level, like a whole other like attitude. It was just like, they just felt so much more assured in, them, in themselves and they just knew where they were going and they felt like there was more purpose than meaning in life in their. But I think just exactly what you said, like even a mother who is in that situation, I don't think any woman or mother is thinking about the age that like having children between the ages of zero and five and thinking of being able to work let alone the ceo being invited by men who trust her to to be to lead the company like that is i feel so many different layers of barriers that work overshot and i just really want to amplify that a little bit that like 
literally the sky is the limit when it comes to things that you would be able to, because I would imagine also that you could have asked her and then she would have been like, no, you got the wrong person. Like, I'm not good enough for the job. And like, it took two to rumble. One, it was like for you to ask. And second, it was for her to show up and to actually do it. And for me, like, it's the actual, like, many times women will see themselves as like incapable or not able to, even if they were given the opportunity, they might've thought or dreamed that like these things are like amazing. But when it actually comes to it, they're like, Oh, actually there's no one else that is stopping me other than myself, which is a huge hurdle that you get over it. Cause you're like, damn, I have 100% control over this. And yet I can't get my, get over myself. And it's a real, it's a real thing. So first I wanted to commend mama bear over there for accepting that because when you're already, your identity is completely stripped from being a mom for like three years. Like you don't even know who you are anymore. And so for someone to have that face, it's almost like you're like sticking your hand into a wild box and not even knowing where you're going. But then someone else is trusting you. So you're like, okay, maybe I can, or maybe I can do this. And so that, that is also like equally fascinating to me. And I think it's really important for more women to hear examples like this, because really the sky is the limit for what you want to achieve it's, or not even things that you thought you would be able to achieve. Like she mentioned, like she wouldn't be able to, um, she never thought of like being a part of like tech company, like leading of all the companies to lead like a tech company. So yeah, that to me is like really fascinating. So tell me a little bit about your mama. Your mom is awesome. I met her at your wedding and she was basically the wedding planner. <laughs> like she was the boss. She handles stuff. And so what do you think your influences were of like your own mom and like how you like where did these values come from essentially that like to prioritize women or like that 50% women like had to be there because I've had situations myself where I have the same beliefs, but then not being able to operationalize them in the way that I had anticipated because of lack of multiple things. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about like the background (laughs) of that thinking, because I think that is, it's actually so deep for you to like, even when challenges come up, like you would have to be steadfast enough to like, be like, no, we made the right decision. That's exactly, even though society is not like this and everything is against us. And maybe even yourself or other people might doubt always when you actually start doing things, like the reality of it comes up. Yeah, I think if I compare myself to my two siblings, I think and I think we all got something from my mom. And I think the one thing I got from my mom is that that perseverance that mentioned, as you mentioned, that when especially when it comes to your own business, you need that perseverance, you need to continue. And I think that's what I learned from her. Actually, let's go back a few more years than, <laughs> than that, because it started from what I know of from my mom is when she was a child. She was about, I think she was about 12 years old when her older brother, they lived in Iran, she's from Iran, and her older brother was supposed to go to England to boarding school. And she really wanted to go as well. She was, yeah, uh, she was 12 years old. She was a young girl and she really wanted to go. And she asked my grandparents and my grandparents, they kept saying that she's too young and it's quite expensive and these kind of things. And it was more like uh, they just didn't want her to go really because she was just so young. And my mom went, because she's got that sense of perseverance, she went and read what it says in the Baha'i writings because they're Baha'is. And in the Baha'i writings, it says that if you have only enough funds and money for one child to be educated, wow. it should be the daughter. And uh, she went to my grandparents and she showed them this, this quote. <laughs> she whipped and, a picture uh, at them. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's baller. Yeah. <laughs> and there's nothing they could have done. They were just literally, yeah, beaten with their own, with their own, I don't know how to say, how, how you say this. But they just, they were just dumb and they said, okay, you're right. You're correct. We'll send you. And she was did then sent also, to England. Did they also send a son too? Or did he stay? Yeah, did both he, of them. No, no, both, both of, them. of them were sent. They had enough money. It was more like yeah. a, uh, they just thought that she was way too young yeah yeah and they send them both because they just didn't know how to argue that wow <laughs> um, and, 
And if you ask her, it was really interesting. There was a time when, especially my, my uncle, her older brother, he was a few years older. He was homesick. He wanted to leave. And I think in this last year or so, he actually left because he was so homesick. And it was my mom who also was homesick, but because she was so, she had so much perseverance, she stuck through it. She stayed there. She finished her wow. school in England because she said, no, I fought so hard for it. I'm not going to give in now. And, and yeah, wow. she, was, said, she was a young girl. She was, of course, she was homesick alone in the country. She didn't know anyone, but she wow. made it. She finished her school there alone. And I think that's definitely something that, that she, yeah, it, it, it shows her character because when, the, when she then moved to Germany and she had, she had children, well, she got married quite early. She was 18 and she met my dad because she had to come to Germany because of, there was a revolution in, in, in Iran. It was not safe. So she had to come here and that's where she met my dad and they decided to get married. And they had children that me and my sister quite early in their life, but she, and that's why she never got a university degree or any other kind of training. But from mm. early on, she became an entrepreneur. She started her own business. She was actually a social entrepreneur, if you would say it this way. And they, as I mentioned before, all the social startups, they would come to our social incubator. She was pretty much like that in the 90s already. She, we lived in a small neighborhood, in a small little village, actually, in the east of Germany. My parents moved there right after the war came down in the 90s. And not only for uh, Western people from the West moving to the East. That was not uh, uh, that common, but also for foreigners like ourselves to move to, to, to the East of Germany. That was a, a quite a brave move in that sense. And she started her own business back then. She And again, it's, it's actually interesting if I now compare it to our idea, it was never intended to be a business. It was a private initiative. She realized that many of these um women actually women in her neighborhood they they needed some like a place to come together kind of like, like a safe place not because they, they were abused or anything but just a place where they can come together and maybe yeah learn a skill or just do something together and so she created this little hub this little center where these women would come together and they have they had workshops and trainings and all kinds of stuff and then it expanded to become more and more like a snowball to 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 all kinds of different areas because then they they added a youth center to it so youth can come there and get some training and so on they added a place where kids can come and do their homework after school because many of the parents weren't able to do this and so on so eventually it became this huge center it was like the focal point of the community where everybody was yeah everybody was there i remember as a child that we would be there every day i don't know there was movie nights and as i said there was some trainings where they had a repair shop for bikes and so i was a huge center and to think that this was led by a woman with who moved to germany maybe six seven years before that her german was still broken and we're talking about the east of germany which had still a lot of racism and she led it she and we were young we were maybe six, seven years old. My, my little brother was uh, was born in that time as well. So he was, oh. uh, yeah. Uh, so she, yeah, she was a mother and uh, really taking care of us, us three kids as well while she was um, running this whole thing. So much to a point that she was so well known in this little village that they wanted her to become a mayor of this town. And just to, for you oh, to understand... Wow. Yeah, yeah, they, it was great. I mean, she didn't want to go into politics, but they, she yeah. was probably the most known person in the whole area. And it's pretty amazing. Just for you to understand, if you would talk, tell a German person this story, they would believe it because of the area we lived in. This city was, mm. was so far in the east and not uh, accustomed to foreigners that at one point, the youth of this youth center, they invited her to go to a rally with her. And she, she didn't think of anything. She was like, yeah, sounds good. And she came home and told my dad about it. And my dad was like, oh, what kind of rally? And she's like, oh, it's this in honor of this birthday of, of someone. And she's like, what day is it? And then we checked it out. And it was a rally in honor of the birthday of Adolf Hitler, which Ooh. was a Nazi. Yeah, which was a Nazi rally. Oh, um, wow. And that's how, how, yeah, how, yeah, how this village or this area was. And, wow. um, obviously, she canceled that. But for them to invite someone like my mom to this event, because they... Mm. That's how bizarre the situation was. They accepted mm. her as one of their own, which was amazing. Wow. Um, uh, amazing to see. So she's, that's what I mean with perseverance. She's, no matter what situation she was put in, she was put in this village, um, she made something out of it. And as you said, wow. even today, she, she's a florist, she's a, she plans weddings and, and then decorates huge places. But at the same time, she also stands on the, on the market in the middle of the winter. It's freezing cold and she stands and sells her flowers there. So she's, I think, if I learned 
something from her it's that if you have perseverance you have success because all you need is to work hard for it and i've seen how hard she works she works sometimes especially right now when it was the christmas time when there's lots of christmas flowers and christmas decorations being sold she suddenly sometimes doesn't sleep for weeks maybe two three hours a night maximum and just works throughout the night to create to do this and and she's not the youngest anymore so she's still but she's still working so hard and i think that's if there's yeah something I've realized in that sense or learned in that sense, it's that. Wow. I didn't know so many of these stories, but that's insane. I think that Nazi story, like basically put it into context. Like I think everyone now understands like how crazy that is. I'm like, once you say that, I'm like, oh, okay. Whoa. Wow. I didn't even know how to follow with that. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, <laughs> Wow, that's crazy. I really don't have any follow-up questions. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, it's like amazing. I thought your mom was amazing, but this just brought it to a whole other level. But I think it's it's just telling. For one, it's like having a strong mother, what that influence was on you as well. And then what child ends up doing in terms of a crisis situation where I think when it comes to the refugee situation maybe many people many people were not they would see the situation and just turn a blind eye like for me I was not in Europe but I was just praying on the other side of the planet that somebody cared the question I did have for you is what is the plan now? Like how, how can people like get involved if they want to? And like, how, what is the plan right now with the company and like, where is it going? Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. As you might've noticed, of course we do have a plan, but if there's, again, one thing we've learned in the last few years is that, especially when it comes to entrepreneurship, you have to take it or take it one where, day at a time. One day at a time. And yeah, especially you have to take it there where it's needed. It doesn't make any sense to to create something and hope, oh yeah, this is the thing and then we're just going to fall through with it. You have to listen mm-hmm. to what is needed. And uh, that's what I mean when we created the software for what we were doing before that as in, in person, that was never intended. We only did it because the organizations ask us to do this. If you ask us now, where is it going? We're going where our customers and our partners need us to go to. And if they say, if they're pushing us towards helping them deliver more content outside of coding, and this is what we're seeing, for example, right now, that some organizations ask us, coding is great and we want to offer coding, but we also want to offer this and this. Can we do this with your software? And we look at it and we evaluate it and we see if we can do it. And if that's something that many want, not just one, then that's what we will do. And of course, we have our, we will always have the main focus on our non-profit. That's where we come from. That's what our drive is. And that's what we want to do. But we have a poll from the market for the for-profit side as well. They have companies that came up to us and they said, if you can do this with this group and you've done this now successfully with this group, can you also do it with our employees? Can you do it with our applicants? So one of our first customer, for example, in that sense was Google who came up to us and say, we've seen what you've been doing the last few years. We have applicants here. We want to increase our female employee developers. We want to have more female developers in our team. We have a few applicants here. Can you help them to get on the level that we need to? And and so, of course, there is there's that side as well, that for-profit side as well, that we will continue to focus on. We know that artificial intelligence is something that a lot of companies are looking for. We have companies from different areas, not just from coding. We have hospitals coming up to us and asking us for supporting them and creating solutions with artificial intelligence. So all of these are things that we're looking into. But yeah, at the end of the day, as I mentioned, if there's one thing I learned is, yes, to have perseverance, but also to to listen to what the problem really is and only solve problems that are actually problems and not make up something in my head. And then hopefully in five years of work, that doesn't make sense, that, 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 that won't work. Yeah, I just think of this example of touching the pulse, like in Chinese medicine, of like where every time you touch the pulse, the situation of the body, the balance, the homeostasis of the body can be completely different. Like at one point, your organs might, like your liver might not be working. And then another one, the other one is affected. And so having your pulse, your hand on the pulse of the situation, I think is so amazing. Can you share one example of, something that you thought was, I guess that example of the computer 
being one. But do you have another one where an example of an issue that you thought was really pertinent, but then you realize, no, actually, this is not an issue? Do you have another hmm. example of that? Because I think that's a really good one for people to have seared in their minds. Because I think people, when we come up with solutions, it's really noble. And I really admire people who are wired that way and they want to actually find solutions. But then it's just like a kind of like an interesting, these are like my favorite pockets to, of life to be in is like when you have amazing, beautiful, well-intentioned thoughts, but then actually not only are they one, not needed, but two, they might actually bring harm. I don't think in your cases, any of the examples were bringing harm per se, but it was just like, you missed the mark on listening, right? Yeah. I think when we did our pivoting to to scaling our platform and not offering our own training anymore, I think that was one of those marks. And I, I thank God we listened to it and then we heard it also because we did it just before COVID hit. And so we were ready when COVID hit, we had the platform and everything ready. But one of those things is one of the, the marks that we heard is that the students, they started to get very confused because they were all part of an organization that was maybe the refugee center or someone that already had a nonprofit that they belonged to. And that nonprofit, like the Red Cross, for example, they would then send these students to us. And we could tell after a while, the students, obviously they heard, they learned coding and stuff with us. But they started to get confused. They went to our tutors and our teachers with their personal problems. And they then went to their own, the Red Cross employees, and asked them coding questions. And it got, oh. they got very confused, right? They were because they started to suddenly create this new bond with our teachers. But our teachers were not trained wow. to help them on their personal requests. Sometimes even wow. psychological problems, they would tell us, and uh, yes. even myself, they would tell me some of their, yeah, some of their experiences, a war experience, stuff like this. And neither of us were trained to deal with that. Uh, and I think, and that's the point when we realized we can't continue with what we're doing because we just, this is not what we're good at. What we are good at is trying to create a solution and helping these Red Cross employees to then deliver the training. So especially from the student side, that they don't have to then mm -hmm. go and be confused and have two different people that there are two different organizations that they belong to. They still continue to belong to one organization and they deliver everything. They are the main contact person. We are just the people in the background. We are not the people who are I don't know, taking over or confusing them more. So that's one of those situations where we realized that the actual problem, uh, that we were creating a new problem. And so we need to mm -hmm. take ourselves out of it. Yeah. But that's actually really hard to do. Like when you mm -hmm. think about, even though stepping away, I think mm -hmm. is actually one of the hardest things, like, especially when you're like, I like the students, I'm like contributing to their well-being. I can see it's helping. I can help them find a job later on. And then it's, oh, but then you're in the sticky situation where you don't know what's going on. And then you're like, I have to draw a boundary and yeah. I have to take myself out of that boundary. Like, I think that is, I don't think... One, many people have the foresight and two, have the courage or like able to remove their ego in a sense to be able to step away and be like, okay, it does not help. This is not helping the situation. But yeah. Yeah, you're really, yeah, you're saying the perfect thing because that, of course, it was difficult to step away, to not be the center anymore where people go to also for the communication side people we didn't have that kind of contact with the students anymore now we are just a provider in the background we of course we know we're doing hard work but we had to of course also talk with the whole staff and this idea didn't come just from one or two people this idea came from the entire staff to do this but it was a big step it was difficult but we as we mentioned we tried to look at what do these students need what do these and by now, we're not only just working with refugees, we're also working with other organizations. Some of the organizations we work with are focusing completely on people with disabilities. Some are full female women's organizations and so on. But in general, it was difficult for us to say, okay, we're taking ourselves out of the equation. We're now the provider and now the empowerer of these organizations and not the one on the forefront anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. There's so much learning, I think, with like entrepreneurial just life in general that you really it's like your ego gets rubbed up against sandpaper like you really 
you get crushed almost like that human aspect (laughs) it's like that human aspect of things I've actually found that like entrepreneurship has been the greatest test to my soul like greatest test greatest thing that has progressed my soul the most not my spiritual practice not my work which I also loved but it's like being in this state of complete surrender to what is in your face, whether that's things that you like or things that you don't like, you just have to have create this like sense of acceptance and this perseverance that you were talking about of just whatever comes up, you must overcome it. There is that's it. That's all you can do. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Fari Jun. This has been amazing. I think this has been really Thank enlightening for, for people to see and hear your experience, not only like the moms that you're helping out, but also like your work and like how that transitioned and just the process of it. I think people don't see enough of people's stories and processes of how they've gone from A to B to really almost reveal that is is one of the greatest gifts like people can offer. So thank you for offering that gift to the yoga avic audience like i think they they really appreciate it and if you guys do want to go and comment and find out more about what fairy does on our episode podcast we're going to have we have a blog on each of the podcasts and you're welcome to go there and leave your comments leave your thoughts any of the links that Faraday is going to share with us with this company, nonprofit, for profit, if anyone wants to get involved, all the links will be up there. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you and so much for having me. Yay! This is awesome. All right. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Wasn't I right in the beginning? Isn't this an amazing podcast? Like, isn't it so inspiring to hear his story and the process of how you go about helping people? Like, my gosh, like, it's so interesting. I love this whole concept of not solving problems that don't need solving. Like, sounds like such a simple idea, but like, how many things do we think are problems and then they're actually not problems? Crazy, crazy craziness. I personally learned a lot from fairy sharing and I hope you did too. Come join us on the Yam podcast blog in the comment section. Let us know what you thought about this podcast. And this is a reminder to let you know that all of our full video episodes are only available on the yam membership portal however if you want a sneak peek of what fairy looks like you can see a clip or two on our instagram page or wechat channel or youtube those are other places that you can find us on and spotify of course maybe you won't be able to see the video part on spotify but you'll definitely get to hear the full podcast so We hope you enjoyed that and we will see you in the next episode.